We first talked to Melanie Myrand a couple of years ago after her big breakthrough at the 2017 Scotiabank Toronto Waterfront Marathon. And I can't help but think how things have changed in the event since then. We've seen a new Canadian record put in place. The depth of the event seems to have exploded, with more promise still to come. Now, with all that being said, Melanie has adapted and improved along with those event changes and continued her trend towards faster times at the Rotterdam Marathon last week, setting a new PB of 233.17. We caught up with her earlier this week to reflect on the experience and chat about changes, preparation, and what the future holds for her. That's all coming up. You're listening to The Terminal Mile at The Terminal Mile on Twitter and Instagram, a Tracky Radio production. All right, so let's start with a number first, uh, 233.17. Uh, what comes to mind when you hear that number? Uh, I would say like 80% satisfaction, like 20%. Uh, I'm just hungry for more. But sometimes when you go into races with like expectations, uh, like especially results, uh, numbers that you're trying to chase, um, then then you can end up a little bit less satisfied. But you should always be happy with a, with a PB. And I think uh, I, I'm proud to say that I ran 233.17. And although it was only 50 seconds uh, off of my 234 um, that I ran in Chicago, I'm still really proud um, of the way I ran and the way I executed my race. And um, yeah, I'm definitely proud of that number. Oh, for sure. And you know, there's a lot to unpack in that answer, but I mean, let's throw another number out there um, quickly as well too. And and that would be 7517. I think that number goes along pretty well with that first number. No, I think so too. Yeah. It's pretty interesting that it was a positive, I guess a positive split by three minutes. But, uh, but yeah, um, I definitely went out hard. Um, I had, I went out with a, with a goal in mind and, uh, yeah, the fact that I went for it in the first half, I'm definitely proud of that. And I was still able to hold it together in the second half. Um, I wouldn't say I hit the wall or fell apart. Uh, I would say I made some decisions during the race and I would say things probably started to get really hard around 37k where where they usually um are supposed to get hard but never to the point where i felt like i was losing complete control which was which was nice oh yeah well i mean i mean that's interesting because you know you're a person who who's run a few marathons now and and you've kind of experienced pretty much the the entire range of of uh of you know types of marathon that there are i'm i'm sure you've experienced some some ones that got very very tough at the end and uh so i what i'm saying is is you're coming at this with a good amount of perspective how would you say mm-hmm. that that this one went as far as that goes as far as execution goes do you feel that that you executed probably your best marathon yet to date i think so i think i um at every marathon I've done, um, I just keep learning more, which is super fun. And um, let's say for Toronto, we had a, I had a pacer, so there wasn't a whole bunch of decisions I had to make. I just had to follow that pacer, and if my body was going to allow me to do that in my mind, um, um, I would do that, and I was able to do that. Um, in Chicago, I, I had a five-minute PB, so um, I kind of went out, and, and I thought I'd taken this huge risk by going out too hard, but it ended up being the right decision. 
so I made the decision to go out by feel and not just even though I had these other paces in mind, I just went with my feeling and how I was supposed to feel and, uh, and I was able to execute it quite well. This time around, um, my goal was to run 232 or sub and, and if, let's say, the, the Olympic standard was in, you know, in, in, in range of the paces I was running, I, w- I would definitely go for it. I wouldn't hold back. So when I went out in my first half, um, in one, at around 20 K is when I realized the pace that I was hitting was, wasn't feeling, um, how it should anymore compared to Chicago. So, um, at around, I was actually Emily Setlack, the other Canadian and I, we had, we had uh, found each other in the first kilometer and decided to, to work together. So um, we both basically had a goal of 232, and uh, we both uh, told each other we could work together, um, obviously, as long as we could. So um, <clears throat> going to the first um, 5K, 10K, it was a little bit faster, but I felt comfortable with those paces. Around 20K, when we got to the bottle station, I, I really felt it was starting to get aggressive. I didn't, I didn't feel that high that you're supposed to feel like it's just completely easy in the first half. It was starting to get to an effort that um, I didn't think would be smart anymore. So that's why I made a decision to back off a little bit from that group. And I was, and it was an actual decision that I made. I remember just looking ahead and seeing Emily in that group um, and just uh, grabbing my bottle and thinking, no, I think I'm going to stay back here. I, I, She's having a really good day. They seem to be comfortable, but I'm I'm not where that's not how I should feel. So I took a step back. There's definitely tons of people around, other men to work with. So I decided to do that. And uh, when you look at the course, it's like a figure eight. And I knew I just wanted to get to that 30k mark because the last big loop is basically from 30k to 40k. It's a 10k loop, and then it's 2.5 2.2k home after that. So I told myself, look. If you readjust right now, just slow it down a bit. You can catch people in that last 10K, you know, and I was able to catch two women in the last 10K. So I think I made the right decision and I, I kind of slowed it down to maybe 340, 339 uh, per K at that point. And then it was only after 37K that I started to slow a little bit more than that. So that's when I knew, I think I really made the right decision in that moment at around 20, 21K to just hold back a bit to make sure you have enough to go to the end so I wouldn't blow up. And I think I made that right decision. It was a bit warm, not to make excuses, um, but it was around 18 degrees, which is a temperature I hadn't really ran in Mm. very much. I'd spent a month in Flagstaff, but as you know, Flagstaff is is kind of cool. So I might might have gone in. I went down to Camp Verde a couple times, and it was warm one day, and I went to Phoenix once as well. So I had maybe two or three runs at over 15 degrees. Uh, but definitely not many. It's not like I come off a, a summer um, of heat training. So I had the altitude in me, but I think maybe some cooler conditions and I would have been able to hold that that uh, that hot pace a little longer, but I readjusted at that point. So all to say, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I'm really proud of the decisions I made uh, during that race. So yeah, that's why I'm proud of that race. It's not just because of the number, it's because of the decisions I made. And I think I made the right ones. Well, yeah, I mean, it seems like like there's a lot of, uh, I guess, maturity made, uh, you know, maturity made a lot of those decisions. And that's, that's kind of neat to see how someone can progress over so many marathons. Now, if I'm not mistaken, this was your first time running Rotterdam. And, you know, Rotterdam is just known for, you know, like, 
Dylan Weiss ran ran a great one there. Um, you know, Rob Watson's run, run a great one there. Pretty much all you know, all the Canadian marathoners have have run yeah. a good one at, at Rotterdam, and and no doubt that went into. I think both. Yeah, both Lanny and um, Krista had breakthroughs there mm. uh, in 2012. I think it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they like I think two thirty one and two thirty two, but I mm-hmm. I mean like that that must have played such such a big part in in your selection of Rotterdam. It did did it live up to the hype? And you know what were the course conditions like? It was a beautiful course, um, honestly. Uh, just and also the amount of people cheering out there. Uh, there were nine hundred thousand locals that got out to cheer that day, and uh, one of the race organizers the day before the race was explaining to my husband and, and John, my coach would both come out to watch where they could, they could watch us uh, run. And he said, get on the bridge because the bridge actually dances um, because there's so many people just, well, he says that, but there's so many people on the bridge out watching. And it was just so incredible just getting to the start line. And I had warmed up along that bridge. And then just like a half hour later, as uh, we were about to start, the bridge was filled filled with people um, coming out to watch. So I thought that was so exciting. Um, also, the course is very, very flat. There's even one portion in that, that last loop that I was talking about where it's kind of like a downhill. You don't really feel a downhill because you're at the point in the race where it's getting really hard, but it's like a, kind of a net downhill at that point in the race. So it was just motivating for me, just, just get there, just get there, Mel, because it's supposed to be downhill at that point, even if you won't really feel it much, but <laughs> it's supposed to be downhill. So mentally um, you can do that. And there was just so many people. Um, obviously, it's a, it's a huge race. There was, I think, 42,000 people that ran. So you always have someone to run with. You're never really alone. And uh, there were no lonely parts in the course um generally speaking uh i think the race organization was super went super well um they treated the elites really well uh i got there safely and without any stress and it was honestly um, a great course and a beautiful course as well not that i remember a lot of the surroundings but um just getting on the bridge i remember quite well and it was just this this one patch it was just along a river that was really nice. And that last big loop from 30 to 40 around the lake was really, was really cool too. It was honestly uh, a beautiful course and I would recommend it. And usually they get, I think, cooler conditions and temperatures because it was actually, I was actually wearing my jacket all week because I didn't, I got there on the second. Uh, so about five days before, but uh, just the race morning, it decided to get warm. <laughs> <laughs> so honestly, I would definitely recommend it. It's nice. It's early in the spring. So you can recover, get a little bit of an outdoor season in, and then uh, do another fall as well. So I think it's a good, it's a good race to to consider, and it's a race where a lot of um, of Africans and and uh, really fast elites will try to to get good times in to make it to like a big uh, um, uh, a major a major marathon as well. So it's a good it's a good place to start, I would say. You know, you, you mentioned uh, Chicago, where you, where you ran uh, your previous PB uh, this this past right. fall. Um, that seems seems like a, a quicker than than usual turnaround for you. Uh, you know, the fall marathon to the spring marathon. Did did you notice any difference in in this build up as a result of of running Chicago? Um, it definitely yes, I did notice a difference. Uh, it was rougher. <laughs> yeah. um, Whereas, like, 
for the build for Chicago. You just, I just had so much time between Toronto and Chicago. And, and I guess at that point, marathon, I just love the marathon after Toronto. So I knew Chicago was the big goal of the year. It was also at the end of the year. It's, I wasn't going to run anything important after that. I had some 10K, 10,000 meters, uh, and other uh, races planned in the year, but really the marathon was the big thing. So I had like a complete year to recover and if training, and then the build went pretty well. Uh, last year I had done uh, a training camp in Park City, didn't run that that well in my 10K races, and then just got back, and, and then marathon training went super smoothly for Chicago. This time around, I would say it took me about three months before I would, I actually felt like my legs were, were responding well to workouts and I could um, like, let's say switch gears. So I would just go into a lot of tempo runs before that and, and just feel flat. I didn't feel like I could do a surge if I wanted to um, and, and then, and be able to pick up like, let's say do a surge and then go back to tempo pace and then do another surge. And, or if I had to switch gears it was really, is really, really tough in workouts. So I remember January 7th, I had a workout and it was the first one where I felt like my legs were coming alive again. Um, and that was exactly three months after Chicago and actually exactly three months before Rotterdam. So I'm like, okay, I think I'm, I'm going to be okay. I have three months to go, and that's all I really need for, for a marathon. And then after that, things were still rough. <laughs> hmm. um, I ended up, you know, um, training um, throughout Christmas and all of that. It went well, and then I ended up twisting my ankle on ice just one uh, random at the end of a one workout. It wasn't even during the workout. It was just during a cool-down and had to take a couple days off, maybe three, four days off completely. And I did some cross training and then did some other um, uh, running on the treadmill. And I had planned to do Miami half. So I did Miami and I hadn't even run on road um, over 10 days because I just stayed on the treadmill to avoid re-twisting my ankle knowing I was going to Miami. And I thought my ankle, the, the swelling had gone down. It was fine. So I decided to do Miami. I did Miami. The, the time was slow. It was quite warm and windy. Um, so I was just happy to get the win in. Definitely wasn't happy with the time, but hey, it is what it, it, is, what it is. It was it was tough conditions, and I guess I was still getting some building fitness at that point. It took me a good two weeks to recover from Miami, I would say. So that was just all a, a, just basically the process of getting fitter. And then, unfortunately, my Achilles blew up, and it was the same ankle that's what I had twisted on, um, where I had twisted it. So I, I think that maybe the running on a twisted ankle, uh, doing a half marathon on a twisted ankle and the Nike 4% wasn't the best idea, but hey, it is what it is. Um, then that took me out for another couple days and then I was able to get back into it. And I was really worried because I had basically it had all gone pretty roughly up until um, – Flagstaff. So I had I had already planned to go to Flagstaff for a full month, taking a full month off work, and I was going to go there with um, some of my running friends and uh, Canadians that most people know. So Lindsay Tessier, uh, Clara, and then my other friend from Quebec, uh, Ariane Rabi. So um, I wasn't even sure if I was going to go at that point because the Achilles was flaring up after all my big workouts that were 35k. So I was still able to get some shorter stuff in, but. Um, after every 35k workout, it would, it would blow up. And that, there was about two of them there. So I, um, I still decided to go to Flagstaff and I guess just being off my feet and just really babying the, the Achilles, it, it kind of, uh, it healed up pretty 
pretty well. And then I was able to do all the work I really wanted to get in, um, in Flagstaff. So I would say the winter was rough because it's the first time I did a spring marathon. So it was the first time I was trying to hit marathon paces, um, during the winter. So that's definitely rough because of the surface. Obviously, um, you learn during marathon training that paces don't always matter, especially when you're running on heavy legs often, but still it's nice to sometimes hit them, um, at some points during training. And obviously in the winter, it's hard to do that. Then you get to altitude and you're, you're stuck with the element of altitude, which also slows down. So I was just really going by effort and I would fall apart at a lot of my longer, my longer workouts. So all the big marathon workouts, my last 5k, I would, I would, I would hit the wall, I guess, or, or fall apart. And I was like, wow, um, I'm hoping this is just the altitude and that my fitness will come together. But then my last week um, at altitude, I wasn't falling apart anymore at my longer workouts and things were really starting to click. Um, I could finish strong and I just felt like I had a better control of my workouts. So I think at that point into my fourth week in Flagstaff, I had adapted to the altitude and I had gained fitness. So then I came home and I I honestly, I felt amazing. Um, I did workouts that were almost 10 seconds per K faster per K um, that I did in Chicago than, than in the build during Chicago. So I really felt fit when I came back to sea level. So I knew I was fit. It was really rough. It wasn't smooth, but I, I got there. I knew I was fit going in to Rotterdam. So rougher, but I got there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there, there's a lot to unpack from, from that answer for sure. Um, you know, one, one thing I want to, you know, ask you about though is, um, you know, you, you you explained physically, you know what what the difference was with with that sort of turnaround. But I mean, mentally coming out of a marathon, you know, oftentimes you can either feel super defeated or you can feel you know really hungry for for something more. And and no doubt you felt that going out of Chicago. Did you notice that that kind of um, made a difference in in this build as well too? You know, just that that recency, um, you, you know, in this build. Yeah, I think um, I think it took me. I think the 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 three months it took me, like that January seventh day. I think it took me three months to recover emotionally from Chicago and mentally. Um, not just it wasn't just physical. Because I remember going in, like I remember doing like a thirty minute tempo and thinking, oh my god, during marathon training for Chicago, I would do two times thirty minutes in tempo. And if my coach had asked me to do that today, I would have never wanted to do it. Like I wouldn't have wanted to. Mm-hmm. So I think it took me roughly three months to recover mentally and, 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 uh, emotionally. And then when I got that little injury of the twisted ankle, it really all, everything just kind of mentally, I, I just, I reset and I was like, no, Mal, like this can all be taken from you so quickly. Just, you know, savor it. Like you need to, you know, get, you need to be hungry for training. You need to, um, you know, uh, like that fire needs to come back. And, and then it did, it did start to come back. I would say right after that. So some little setbacks are sometimes good because it, it re-sparks the fire. <laughs> hmm. So um, I, I would definitely, and like, that's what I would, some advice I would give is just like ride the wave. Like don't push yourself too much where you're going to burn yourself out and finding that, that fine line is hard, but just ride the wave post marathon of the ups and downs of training of how you're feeling um, because it's completely normal. Just so much goes into it. Um, and I think maybe this time around, hopefully it'll be different and things will come back faster. I am hungry right away. Like right now I'm hungry, 
Uh, obviously, I haven't ran yet, so once I run again, run again, maybe it'll be different. But um, also, it's spring, and it's like kind of like the season doesn't feel over yet because it's hmm. not fall; it's spring. So. Uh, also, it's light out for longer. So all those things make a huge difference in terms of motivation to get out and, and work hard again. And just having a bunch of teammates that will be training for a fall marathon as well, I'm sure I'm sure I'll be really motivated really quickly to get back out there. You mentioned, uh, you know, going and training with, you know, um, a whole bunch of people we for sure know, you know, including, you know, Lindsay Tessier, uh, you know, Claire mm-hmm. Langley uh, up, up at Altitude. You know, I, I have to think that's that's not something that, that you can get in, in Montreal too often. And, you know, this this winter was rough this year, uh, you know, as far as ice and temperatures and, and that sort of stuff goes. Um, you know, maybe I know you have a really good group in, in Montreal. So maybe maybe compare the two experiences training in, in Montreal in the winter versus, you know, going in and training with with different people uh, up at Flagstaff. Yeah, well, I guess. The thing about my team is that we're all kind of training for for different things, and I guess the people that came up to Flagstaff are training for for different events than I am right now because none of us we're all planning to do uh, Rotterdam. But um, running with my team um, at home is different because let's say we won't have the same workouts. We, we have the same workouts, sorry, but we might not all be running necessarily side by side, but just inspiring one another by being accountable and and just being there working together um even if like let's say i'm i'm running with francois jarry well he's he'll be way ahead of me but just the fact that we both went out and did the workout together will definitely um will be helpful but i do have some training partners in montreal and we really do do work together um in when it comes to training with different people than ever train yeah i guess you have to learn to to work with different people and, and set your own limits. Like let's say other runners, um, they might, you end up running all your runs together, your easy runs and your, and your, and your hard runs. So I guess just learning to listen to your, your own body because some of these people are your friends, but they're also your competitors. So um, it's best not to compare um, when you're running next to Lindsay Tessier. Uh, she's a two thirty marathoner. You have to remember that. Okay, well we can train together, but if I'm not, right up with her right now that's okay or she's a different part in her training cycle i'm i'm training for this marathon so um you know uh, i'll really keep my easy runs easy to make sure that i'm not wearing myself out for my next workout so just have to stay true to yourself and 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 work together in the workout but but not be competitive about it and i guess my teammates at home none of us are really competitors either so that's that's different um we're I'm running with a lot of men most of the time, so uh, we will we'll run together, but we don't necessarily always have the same races or we're not always aiming for the same same goal. So I think when you're running with other women that could be your potential competitors on one race day uh, and and when you're doing a workout with them, it's just best not to compare yourself, run your own workout and um, and and be there to motivate each other and just uh, feed off each other's energy just like anybody else. so I guess my own, the only difference would be just to make sure you're always checking in with yourself and what feels like a true pace to you and not try to get excited or push yourself uh, further just because this person is like, let's say a 2.30 marathoner, so you're trying to, to keep up or something, you know, something like that. 
you know, I'm I'm hearing all this. You know, the 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 heavy legs in, in workout, the the quick turnaround. Uh, you know, be- between uh, two marathons. But you know, I've I've seen you run a lot of 10ks and and some 5ks in there as well too. What would you consider yourself now? Would you consider yourself, uh, you know, primarily a marathoner at this point? Oh yeah, definitely. I definitely think my strongest event is the marathon, um, and it's the event I like the most. I just love, yeah, I love it. I definitely like it more than more than anything else. And I think it suits the way I run. Um, I definitely can can definitely learn and improve the way I run the marathon. I would love to negative split one day. Uh, but the way I usually approach most races is I start off at an aggressive enough pace and I hold on. And I'm able to do that in the marathon um, without, and I think I know myself enough that, Obviously, I, sh- I, I should knock on wood, but I haven't blown up yet. But I think I, I'm, I have that, that ability to hold on for and hold a, a, rough, a hard enough pace for a long time uh, without blowing up. So I think it, it, it basically, it is, uh, yeah, I think it, it suits the way I run and, uh, and my strengths more than a 10K or a 5K. I don't really have a kick <laughs> at all. So just the keep maintaining one pace. Is, is something that I'm I'm good at for a long time. <laughs> so, you know, since since the last time that that we talked on this show, you know, there there has been uh, great progression in in, in the event, uh, specifically the, the women's marathon uh, event here here in Canada. And uh, you know, even even though you ran a PB and it's it's only April, um, that that fantastic time, you know, that that two thirty three is is already the fourth fourth uh, best time in the country which you know in different years that that time would have you know landed you a first or, or a second I mean well, what's that uh, from your perspective as someone who's who's running those those times you know watch watching you know better times you know become you know net less results I guess I think it's I think it's really um, I think it's great like seeing Rachel Cliff um, get the Canadian record uh, this year. I was so excited for that. Um, I was actually watching in Flagstaff and super excited for her, um, watching and cheering (laughs) from the kitchen. I was making food and it was just so exciting and chatting with other runners. And I think it just shows that, that there is just such a potential for running to grow in Canada. And I think that, I really don't think what I do is special. I think um, I did a lot of work to get where I am today. I think some talent is involved, but I really don't think that, um, I think the times that, that I run are times that um, that have come through years of hard work, but it's just an accumulation and just keep, and it's just building on, on different blocks of training and, and, and consistency and, and remaining injury free. I think that when we see these times like Rachel's running, um, it goes to show that um, what I'm doing is really not special. And it really just makes what I, when I, when I see them improving to that, to that level, it inspires me that I can, not reach that level, but maybe just keep running faster because I think um, she was able to go off two minutes off a time that was that was great just from Berlin. So I think you know we can all aspire to do something similar, even when you're when you're running in the in the two twenties. So it's scary to think of running that fast, 
but I think it it definitely uh, puts my time into perspective and, and what I do. So um, I think it's what's happening now is really exciting for, for Canadian running and, and puts us up on the um, up with the Americans who, who run just as fast, you know? So, yeah. You know, you, uh, you mentioned that, that this early marathon means you can have a little bit of a track season. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, what's a, what's that looking like? Do you have any, do you have any plans as far as that goes? I think, um, I think I'll run on the road. I don't know if I'll run on the track that much this year. Um, I definitely would like to get another half in. I'm thinking of maybe um, Canadian championships because it's in June. So I think it might give me enough time to recover um, from, from Rotterdam. I ran my PB in the half during this marathon. So I think it's time that I <laughs> get an, a fast half time in. Um, I don't think if I do Canadian half marathon champs, I don't know if I'll have time to do 10,000 meter champs, but my coach and I have to sit down and make, make a big decision there. And then I'm not sure if I'll do a 5,000 on the track for fun, but definitely focusing on some longer distances, half 10. Uh, but I don't think I'll have a, a big outdoor season. You know, um, big, big moves made, uh, by, by the, uh, by the Toronto marathon this fall, uh, which I guess uh, there's a bit of a wrench thrown into the, kind of that, that qualifying caveat that, that they threw in where the, the standard's pretty pretty high now. But um, you have to think that, that uh, you know, the whole qualifying thing and the Scotia-Toronto Waterfront Marathon this fall, uh, that's that's probably caught the, uh, caught the ears and, and imaginations of people like yourself and, and like other runners who are in your position. You know, is, is that kind of the plan for the fall to, to run that race? It definitely could be. Um, I think it'll be really interesting uh, based on what the standards are. And AC still has to come out with what our standards will be. I don't think they can't be any easier than 229.30. But there is this whole idea of world rankings and, and accumulating the, these IAF points for the selection. So it'll be really interesting what what people decide to do um, and different strategies that pe- some runners and coaches will take. Uh, for their athletes. So like, uh, for example, if you if you run Worlds, you can, yes, it's going to be a slow time, but if you come top 20, that that is, I think, if I'm not mistaken, um, the quali- is, is equivalent to running the qualifying time. Um, so some people might decide to do Worlds and, and try to, to be aggressive and, and place well, right? So mm-hmm. there's a whole bunch of ways that people can can try to um, qualify, I think. Um, it's still very complicated to me, but uh, my coach kind of reassures me of this. For Toronto, it could be a really good um, decision, I think, um, because it is a gold label marathon, so you can accumulate a lot of IF points uh, by running it and um, probably place well, because if you place top 12 in a major marathon, then you also accumulate a lot of points, so it'll all help your world ranking score. So I think, if I'm understanding correctly, so it is a fast marathon. The, the possibility of running the standard there could be possible, and accumulating all these points could be a really good good way to go. And I, I think the winner um, is guaranteed a spot um, at, in uh, in Tokyo. So this is this is what I hear. So it's definitely something that I might consider. There's obviously a lot of people that might want to go out and run Berlin because it's supposed to be super fast and 
and all of that. But Toronto's nice. It's close to home. You don't have to worry about any time difference. Um, it could be something that I would consider uh, for the fall. Still haven't decided yet. Well, if if I know your coach, John, uh, at all, I'm sure he uh, yeah. he he knows all the details inside and out at, at yeah. this point. <laughs> <laughs> he knows a lot of them, and that's how I know some of them. <laughs> yeah. Well, fair enough, fair enough. Hey, you know, with with everything that that's coming up this season, uh, you know, you're a very exciting racer to watch, and and um, we here are definitely excited to see what you can do both on on the roads and and come this fall when you uh, take another crack at the marathon thing. But uh, you know, huge result in in Rotterdam, and and that was really really great to see. Um, you know, thanks thanks so much for being on this week's show. Oh, thank you so much. It's a pleasure. It's always fun to talk (laughs) about running. (laughs) Well, that wraps up another edition of the Terminal Mile. Big thanks to my guests this week, Mel, as well as to Tracky for their ongoing support. If you want to find us on social media, you can do so at the Terminal Mile. We're on both Twitter and Instagram with that handle. We also have a Facebook page now, so be sure to shoot us a like there. If you like the show, definitely subscribe to us on whatever platform you're listening, whether that be iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, Spotify, or tracky.ca. And while you're there, leave us a comment. We always like hearing from you. Big thanks to you for listening. This has been the Terminal Mile, a Tracky Radio production. Just one more thing before you go. We have a new news program that we run at the beginning of every single week. Just a quick recap of what's happening in the sports world. If you like this show, you'll probably like that, and you can find it the exact same place that you found this show.